You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, um, today I would like to um, talk a little bit about prayer. It's going to be by a way of testimony and some things that I've learned very recently about prayer. We'll be talking about three approaches to God, but majoring on one. And um, God has really done some marvelous things in our lives over the last number of weeks. And I want to share them with you, just for his glory and for no one else's glory. And to encourage you in your faith as you walk with God day by day, to know that it's not a mere theoretical thing, that it's very, very, very real. God is very, very, very real. I want to start by reading a phrase from the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, it's a statement, and it goes like this. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Read it again. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. As with all statements that are, ever have been made, it's either true or false. Isn't that right? So I am unable to say that this is true because of the faith step that I have taken regarding the Word of God. So I declare that this is true, and I'll read it again. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And this is so, so important for us. It's given me hope in life. I know because there was a time when I had no hope. There was a time when I was despairing. But through this um, truth that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, I now have hope. Hope for every day. An amazing hope that I would like to communicate some of with you today. You know, in the last few weeks and months, I've seen answers to prayer at a spectacular rate that I've never seen before. It is amazing what God is doing. Things that seemed immovable have become movable, as with those mountains that Jesus said, if you have enough faith, you can cast them into the sea. And prayer has been that resource, one of those resources that God has given us that he includes in that statement. He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And one of those things, and a very important thing, is prayer. And uh, there, there's, prayer is a big thing. It's multifaceted, and there are many approaches. A couple of Tuesdays ago, uh, I had the privilege of sharing this talk with the ladies in the Tuesday night Bible study. It was a bit weird, but there I was in the midst of all the ladies, and they said they were very encouraged, and they wanted, uh, wondered, could we share it farther? So here we go. Now, what I want to share this morning is um, it's information, really, that will help us have a better understanding of the approaches that we can have to God. God is one, really, and we come to him through Jesus Christ, but he has many roles in our lives, and we'll look into that a little bit. What I want to share today is something that was made known to me through a friend who's here this morning. He went to a conference up in Brisbane about three months ago, and he came back with this long list of tape or um, links to, um, used to call them tapes, uh, DVDs, CDs, whatever they are, of teachings, 13 of them in all. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a lot of stuff. But anyway, started at number one. These teachings were by a man called Robert Henderson from the United States. You know, he, uh, he's not terribly eloquent. He makes grammatical mistakes, like me. And... Uh, 
uh, he's not what you would call a highly educated person, but what he taught from the scriptures has actually revolutionized my life. And I want to share it with you today. And I want to also say that what he shared is not a foolproof magical formula, okay? It that will work every time. It's not like that. What I'm sharing with you today is um, partly experience and partly the Word of God. And you need to be praying to discern what's going on. But basically, as a result of following what this man taught me, my own daughter Rachel is miraculously and dramatically healed on all kinds of levels, physically, mentally, spiritually, and every way. We have a new girl. And um, yes... All, all glory to the Lord. She'll be here tonight. And, and I asked her permission to say these things, and she gave it. And um, it's, just, it's just amazing. That's why I want to share it with you, so that you might go away and attack some of those mountains that are in your life. Um, and I just want to begin by going to a couple of approaches that we all know about. And the first one is approaching God as Father. It's basic, and it's fundamental to all of us as Christians. We, we come to the Father, and we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we find that prayer in Matthew and we find it in Luke. And we come to the Father because of our own needs, our own special needs. We all have needs, don't we? Uh, in that is included daily bread. And uh, in this day and age, it's a little bit strange since we have freezers full of food and cupboards full of food and we have days supplies of food. But still in all, we must remember the source of that food that it is the Lord. And um, Paul helps us with our understanding of Father. Um, he, he calls Father two names. He calls him Abba Father. Abba is like Daddy, and Father is more like the authority figure. And we need both. If uh, we only think of God as our Daddy, then we may lack respect, we may lack obedience to him because he's got authority. So he puts the two in there. Abba is Daddy, and Father represents the authority. authority. So for an order, in order for there to be order, we need to have the Father as well in our lives. So we can come to him, and we come to him, uh, to God in that way, in the same way as we would come to him for any other way. We come through Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' blood. Paul talks about the spirit of adoption. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And we go to the Father for our own needs that we have. And then there's a, a second dimension of prayer, and it's approaching God as a friend. I'm a friend of God, and I go to God who is my friend on behalf of another friend over here who is in need. And Moses and Abraham were friends of God, and they went to God on behalf of people who were in dire need. In fact, people who were about to come under the judgment of God. We think of Lot, who was almost, he was saved by the skin of his teeth. He was almost under the judgment of God, but Abraham, a friend of God, the Bible calls him a friend of God, interceded and the Lord rescued Lot. And then Moses interceded for an entire people. God was about to destroy them. He had had enough of them. And Moses stood between them as a friend of God. The Bible calls Moses a friend of God. And he interceded. And then in the New Testament, um, there is a story about that. And I'll read it to you. Luke 11, verse 5. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, uh, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children are with me in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then Jesus went on to say, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lovely story, talking about the goodness of our Father. So as friends of God, Abraham and Moses uh, had the right to go right in there to the presence of God and, and ask on behalf of friends of theirs. And you notice they, they didn't pray for judgment to fall on the people, it wouldn't be right of us to pray for judgment on people because God actually desires mercy, not sacrifice. Hosea 6.6 6. As friends of God, we have the ability to pray for a whole nation, to actually ask God for a whole nation. And I think that's what we need to be doing right now. We really need to be asking God for the nation of Australia. And perhaps you're a, a, a member of another nationality. Ask God for your nation as well. Because... Uh, Satan's kingdom seems to be advancing here in some ways. But we can stall that through prayer. We can stall that by being friends of God and going on behalf of the nation. After all, we are friends with the people of this nation. And let's represent them to God. But um, there is a third dimension um, to prayer. And uh, I would just like to, to talk about that. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. When you think of the spiritual realm, what do you think of? Do you think of it as a battlefield? A battlefield mentality? Or is it something else? I want to suggest to you another way of thinking about the spiritual realm. And of course, this will not exhaust the spiritual realm at all. But it's another part of the spiritual realm, and it is the realm of the courtroom. Did you know that the first ever words that were penned in the Bible have to do with a court scene. The first two chapters of Job are a court scene where the devil brings a case against Job to God. Did you realize that? Job is uh, the first book of the Bible in terms of chronology, we believe. So I want us to think a little bit about the spiritual realm as being a courtroom. And Jesus talked about this. He brought it into the whole area of a courtroom scenario. Both the battlefield and the courtroom involve conflicts, don't they? Um, but we need to pray. You know, when we come to pray, we need to ask the Lord, first of all, is the context into which I'm praying right now a battlefield or a courtroom decision? Jesus himself is not recorded, I believe, as speaking of um, the spiritual realm as a battlefield. It's more like a courtroom. The battlefield is a legitimate way to think of the spiritual realm. It's taught to us by Paul and Daniel and others. In John, uh, oh, sorry, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, John sees the heavenly realm like a court. He said, I saw heaven 
standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True, or rather is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. So he put the judgment before the war there. Uh, there might be some significance in that order. Judgment before battlefield. And so the third dimension that I would like to speak to today and to major on is the dimension of the courtroom as um, a, a way and as God, as judge, to be approached. And we do that whenever we have a case against us or whenever we have a case against a member of our family or maybe even if we're pastors or leaders in the church, members of our flocks. We can come um, uh, to the judge because the devil has a case out against us. Um, the widow in the parable uh, in Luke chapter 18 said, Grant me justice against my adversary. And how many of us today have things in our lives that are just not responding to the type of prayer that we've been going to God with? Things seem to be blocked. Things are not shifting at all. I know what that feels like. And um, there may well be an answer here. I want us to read another portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along, because there might be some things that my words speaking them might skip over, but if you see them written, they might stand out for you. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Not, we don't always see direct answers to prayer. We don't always see people um, or situations and people responding to the prayers that we offer. And this is what we're tempted to do. Jesus said, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Should always pray and not give up. How many times have we felt like giving up on someone or some situation? Maybe countless times. I think of our own boys, you know, they were born with um, multiple food protein allergies and I never cease to tell the story. We prayed for them for seven years and nothing seemed to happen. And then one day it did. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Have you got someone in your life who's wayward, who's, who, about whom you know they've been called by God, yet they've gone away into the world and they're far, far away they have no desire after God. They're rebelling. And you're almost thinking that um, at the point of giving up. Well, don't give up. Please don't give up. Let's go on to verse 2. He, Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to me, listen to what the law and just judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's at least one word that links those two parables together that we've just read, and it's the word bother. Have you, have you heard that? Bother? We fear sometimes that we're bothering God. We would bother a friend, and we would bother 
an unjust judge, but we will never bother God. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Let's look at the appeal to God in a judicial system. What hasn't worked in prayer by approaching God as Father and by approaching God as friend may well see a breakthrough through approaching him as a judge. And by the way, God is not the unjust judge. Um, he is uh, the unjust judge we have to try to convince, and sometimes people have to try and bribe the judge to make a verdict. But in the case of our heavenly judge, God himself, he's a just judge, and he loves to do those things which are in accordance with his design and destiny for us. Jesus said he will see that they get justice and quickly. Not a wonderful thing? He will see that they get justice and quickly. So why do we need to go to the courts of heaven? Well, because our adversary, the devil, uses legal blockages to our prayers. He uses legal blockages to our destiny. What is the devil's work? Well, the devil's work it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, is to kill and steal and destroy. Peter tells us uh, in 1 Peter 5 that um, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, if that weren't possible, Peter would, wouldn't have said it. He knew all about that. We'll maybe touch a little bit on that later. Um, if we go into the into prayer against certain situations as though it was a battlefield without first of all going to the judge for a verdict we could suffer a severe backlash we could get nowhere we need to first of all go into heaven heaven's courts um, and we need to get a verdict from God which will change everything very quickly very very quickly indeed just, just uh, on that from my own experience We've been praying for Rachel for years, like literally years, about her needs. Um, she isn't well. She's very tired. Give her strength. Give her energy. Give her this, that, and the other. And um, we weren't getting, getting anywhere at all. But then we discovered that what was really happening to Rachel was that the enemy was stealing her destiny. Now, of all our kids, I, I mean, Rachel was the, the first one along, and she probably blazed the trail, but... I, I never thought I had to worry about her career or anything like that. She'd just make it herself, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's blocked. It's, she can't even finish high school because of this thing that came upon her. And we realized that her destiny was being robbed by the devil, fairly and squarely. And uh, we went to God on that basis. And, and it must have taken about 15 or 20 minutes to write down a legal prayer now, this is not discounting all of our prayers beforehand because I know all of you have been praying not to discount that at all. Wrote down what looked to me like, I'm not a, a legal person, but I made it sound as legal as I could. And I have it on my computer and prayed it to God and went in to her and said, Rachel, within two weeks, your life will be turned around and left, went to Ireland. And... <laughs> The messages, that's right, the messages started to come through. Rachel's doing exercise. She's going for a walk. She's been a walk now for three days in a row. She's taking the dog out. She started to draw again. Um, she's interested in this and that and the other. And sure enough, her life began to turn around. Four weeks of that slow turnaround, then boom, just straight up like that. 
wants to go to, has applied to Bible college last week, has, uh, is in the process of taking out a professional driving license. Um, totally transformed. Took about 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Maybe that song, Better Is One Day In Your Courts Than Thousands Elsewhere. It's a little bit meaningful, a lot meaningful. Anyway, where did we get to with this reading? So we're at the judicial system. God is not an unjust judge. He wants to give us justice quickly. We have to go into the courts of heaven because we have an adversary who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy each of our destinies. And we need to get that blockage removed. That's what um, it seems to be here. Satan loves to frustrate our destinies. Whose destiny here has been free of Satan's involvement? How many of us have had it straight going the whole way and we have just uh, aced everything, we've duxed everything that God has set out before us? None of us. We've all got things against us. And sometimes it seems like there are certain forces that we cannot conquer until we remove the legal right of the, of the enemy. And uh, for, as I said already, Satan is the adversary, the one who comes and stands against us before God. He did it with Job, and he does it with the people of God down through the ages. The Bible calls him in Revelation the accuser of the brethren. All of us are being accused, and sometimes it's because of our own slip-ups. Very often it's because of our own slip-ups. We sin, and then the devil goes, aha, and there's a blockage. Simon Peter did say, um, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion. He certainly knew all about that. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, 31? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan wanted to put him in trial. But some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, and I've taken courage from them before, are these. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. The devil's attack on our destinies is very real, but it need not be successful at all. And as I said already, we go into the courts to fight for the destiny of someone, not for their immediate needs. Are you thinking about someone right now whose destiny has been robbed? You know, you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and they're still not walking with God. Why not do this? Why not go into the courts of heaven? You see, all of us have had books written about us from before the beginning of the world. We get an indication of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 where it says, For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's those very works that the devil wants to disrupt. Do you agree with me? Does the devil want to disrupt the work of God? Well, that work was planned before we were born, and it was planned for you and I to carry it out. So he wants to stop us doing it. That's his job. We need to to really uh, wake up to that. Psalm 139 gives us a, a look at this as well. It's, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All, my, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I believe it's God's desire. I believe that God's desired destiny for us is something that he is zealous for. 
He is zealous for his plans for us. So therefore, if we go to him as judge, he will be very happy to give us a good verdict because they're his plans for us. So that's why we go on the basis of our destiny, not on our immediate needs. Robert Henderson tells the story of his son, Adam. Adam was born, um, and within a couple of days, he had two prophecies given to him by two separate people, and the prophecies were one and the same. They were that, uh, taken from Isaiah, where it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And so they believed that that meant that Adam was going to be a preacher. And uh, sure enough, he was. He grew up, loved the Lord, followed the Lord diligently, went to Bible college, um, prepared himself for the ministry, got married to a lovely girl, and off they went to ministry. Four years into that ministry, the girl said, I've had enough, I'm going home. She left him, and she took their daughter with her, and uh, he didn't see that daughter for two years. So this put Adam into a very serious depression. He couldn't do anything. He just stayed in bed, just lost his job, out of ministry, and for two solid years he was in a state of depression that he couldn't shift. His father, Robert, and mother, they prayed and prayed for Adam, and they had no success. Robert privately uh, condemned his son and said, look, why doesn't he snap out of it? This is stupid. And he said things like that. And nothing happened. As he was praying for Adam one day, he heard the Lord say to him, Robert, bring Adam into my courts. And of course, Robert didn't know what that meant, really. So he, he got out his concordance, and he started to search up the mention of courts in the Bible. And from that, he began to realize uh, what it means to bring someone into the courts of heaven. So he simply um, brought his son before the judge, and he claimed, based on the destiny that was preached to him or prophesied over him at his birth, he said, Lord, give my son back his destiny. And during that process, he actually identified with um, Adam's sin. He confessed it, and he said, I confess Adam's sin until he can um, confess it for himself. I repent of my own involvement and exasperation of the problem by the words I've said. And he then rebuked the spirit of depression that was over Adam. And he declared that Adam was free. Nothing happened, apparently. Twelve days later, his son phoned up and said, Dad, twelve days ago, the depression just suddenly lifted off me. I don't know how it happened, but it just one minute was there, next minute was gone. And you know what? Adam is now once again a pastor serving the Lord in a church in the United States, and he's seeing a lot of blessing. And that, that, story, that actually was a story that really encouraged me. So I, I followed it to the letter, and um, the Lord has done it for us as well. I want to give him all the glory for that. It, it's absolutely amazing. Sometimes I just fill up with tears as I look at her and see what's happened. And every day, every day since, I just look and say, oh my goodness, what has happened? I'm happy about this. So how does the devil build a case against me? How does the devil build a case against anyone? Well, there, it's really, um, go back to the book of Job again. He uses all kinds of things to build a case against us. For instance, he actually um, 
built a case based on God's motives for Job. He said, look, you favor him, basically. So he built a case on that. Then he said, um, it was uh, Job's motives for being loyal to God. He only follows you because of this, this, and this. And then he also tried to find sin in Job as well to bring a case. He brought legal obstacles into the court of heaven against Job. And basically, it's about sin, transgression, and iniquity. These are the reasons that the devil builds up a case against us. And let me just go through them one at a time. You might think they're all the one thing, sins, transgressions, and iniquities. They're the same family of things, but they're not exactly the same. Sin is really missing the mark, and that's what we do because of our nature. We have been programmed, in a sense, because of the fall and the curse, to be biased towards sin, and we do it by default. Sin is part of human nature right now, and we miss the mark. It's really like the archer taking aim, and no matter how well he aims, the arrow goes off to the side and misses the bullseye every single time. It has to do with motives. So the accuser in Job's case brought a case against Job because of Job's motives. And uh, Satan said that Job's motives for serving God were wrong. So we're not just supposed to do the right thing, we're supposed to do it for the right reasons. Then there's transgressions. And transgressions mean stepping over the line. It's more like a deliberate action. We see the law of God and we say, okay, stuff that, and we walk across it. That's a transgression. And we've all done that. But then there's iniquity, and that's the one I want to uh, talk a little bit longer about. It's the main one. And this is the sin not only of myself, which I can perpetuate, but it's the sin of my bloodline. It's the sin of my father's. Just as I can receive talents from my father, um, and gifts from my mother, so also I can receive their bad traits as well, and propensity to wrong. And it is a curse and sin that is passing down from generation to generation. So when we come to pray about iniquities of ourselves and of our bloodline, we need to go to the Father and ask him to expose the sin of the bloodline. And he may well bring to our minds a sin that some ancestor or some grandparent had committed that is actually bringing grief in us today. It could be murder. It could be sexual sin. It could be neglect, abuse, anything at all that gives the devil a foothold in our family line. All you have to do, folks, is look back three generations of your own family. Perhaps you remember three generations and you look a little bit intensely, you'll find it. You'll find that thing that is a family weakness, that thing that could be the family iniquity. And that might be the thing that's actually bringing a bar into the family, a thing that's bringing perhaps depression, poverty, and any number of things into our family today. Things that have actually allowed demonic strongholds to cripple our families and to ruin our destinies. Have you ever noticed why sometimes in the whole area of abuse, and I have to be very careful what I say here, but you would think that someone who was abused would not ever want to abuse anybody, wouldn't you? And yet, time and time again, it has been found that abused people become abusers. Weird, isn't it? Why is that? It's a sin of the bloodline. It's an iniquity which passes from family to family with ease. So sins, transgressions, and iniquity do four different things. 
Iniquity in the bloodline gives the enemy a legal right to tempt you in a particular area. And uh, we see this in the story of Abraham and Sarah, where Abraham and Sarah told a lie to their host that they were brother and sister, right? When all, it, all the while they were married, right? And you would think that um, they would have learned from that. But then one generation later, before, um, before Isaac was even born, Abraham and Sarah did this. But then Isaac and Rebekah did the very same thing decades later. Same sin passed from generation to generation. So iniquity in the bloodline gives the enemy a legal right to tempt you in a particular area. Perhaps if you do a little bit of digging, you will find that you're tempted by the same things as your parents were. Sin will, secondly, sin will form your identity in the way you think about yourself. Isaiah said before the Lord purified him, he said, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am, an unclean, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So sin will form your identity in the way you think about yourself. I am a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. But um, if we're really living as sons and daughters of the Lord, we could say, I sin, but I'm not a sinner. I am a son of God, I am a daughter of God. So it affects our identity. Sin affects our identity. It affects our temptation levels. And iniquity, if it's undealt with, will detour us from the destiny that God has written for us. Um, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities, that's your sins, uh, your iniquities, iniquities of yourself and your fathers, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So iniquities are a thing that actually separate us from God and our destiny. God is our destiny, not that we will become God, but that we are for God and sin separates us from that. Then fourthly, iniquity is used by the enemy to build cases against us. And only three weeks ago we, we talked about this when we talked about the, the Gibeonite deception. The Gibeonites deceived Israel, but nevertheless Joshua gave the word that they would never be attacked or killed, that they would be protected. And then Saul, he went against that. Then he broke the covenant, he committed an iniquity. And do you think God left it there? No, he didn't. That iniquity followed Saul's family to the point where five of them had to be taken out and put to death as a result of that uh, breach of covenant. So it followed the, the family. Basically, there is an inescapable law in the universe, and it is this, that iniquity is visited upon succeeding generations, and it makes it a very, very serious thing indeed. So let us not as believers ever perpetuate iniquity, because it's not only ourselves who are affected, it's our bloodline in advance that's affected by the sins that we commit, the iniquities that we commit. So, um, those are the, the blockages and the cases that the devil brings against us. So what's the process? I just briefly went over it with Robert Henderson's story, but I'll go over it again. When we have a person in our family or in our congregation, and we think there's a blockage in the case against them and nothing's happening, what we can do is we can do a thing called identificational confession and repentance. And where do we get that from? We get it from Leviticus 26.40. And it says this, 
But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pray for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. It seems like when we do that, we confess and repent on behalf of others until they're able to do it for themselves. God remembers his covenant. And he comes in and he answers. And then, of course, there's personal repentance. Um, like Robert Henderson, I had to repent of the, th of the things I'd said about Rachel and to her while she was going through her sickness. Things like, ah, you're only putting it on. Would you not get up and do something? Things like that. I had to repent of that. And then prophecy and declare their destiny. This is prophesying from the book of God written about that person. You may have had a glimpse into what God wants from that person through a word of prophecy or a promise that was given to them at their dedication, at their baptism, or something else. Just think, big Stephen, who was baptized here three weeks ago, or four, his... Um, what was spoken over him years ago was, you will be a mighty warrior. For the devil came in and robbed his destiny for a period of time. He went into uh, deep into sin. And then on the day he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, down at our office in Bolton Street, the word was given to him, you shall be a mighty warrior. On the night of his baptism, two people who had never heard of these words, two separate people said to him, you shall be a mighty warrior. That's something that's been written in Stephen's book before the foundation of the world which has been brought out again by the prophets. Do you know what God said about that person who is today wandering? If you don't, maybe ask him what he is saying about it and then prophesy over their lives. After that identificational confession and repentance, after your own repentance, prophesy and declare their freedom and their destiny. And then command whatever spirit it is that is binding itself to the person to leave in Jesus' name. And I have no doubt that a lot of the things that are happening in our lives today are caused by messengers of Satan. Doesn't even um, Paul speak of that? Demonic activity, causing people to be depressed, suicidal. That's not from God. And I don't believe it's from the person themselves. A lot of the time it's demonic activity. So in conclusion, I want to really encourage you, every one of us this morning, to search our lives. And is there an area that is stubbornly resisting prayer? Any area at all. Perhaps you've received a word of promise concerning a person and it hasn't been fulfilled. Well, I want to encourage you to take these people to the courts of heaven and pray for them and see what God will do. I encourage you to avail yourself of the heavenly court. We think that the high court in Canberra is the highest court in the land. No, it's not. It is absolutely not. There is a higher court and a higher judge. And he will love to give you justice. And the one who represents us there is Jesus Christ, the advocate. We haven't really mentioned him as advocate yet. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus. Um, we look for a Queen's counselor and we wonder if they're good or not. I'll tell you the best is the, the best King's counselor is Jesus Christ. So don't leave today without coming to God on behalf of that person and that situation. That person you're thinking about now. All over the church, let there be uh, space and freedom for you to bring these people to the Lord, even as we close. And after we close, take time in prayer regarding all these people that come to your mind. And I want to read this again. Luke 18, verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. You know, since um, discovering this, I've been telling a lot of people about it and getting reports back about um, situations that have been under the attack of the devil. You could call it a curse that have been rectified through doing this. People's houses have been transformed. Business. Um, health. Destiny. Um, two Fridays ago, I, got, uh, I was asked by a man who comes to this church um, way back, about three months ago, his business was in real trouble. It, he set the business up to fund the work of God. But right away, it fell into attack after attack of, of the devil. People were suing him for this, that, and the other. Um, the authorities were trying to pin stuff on him. And um, he called a couple of us down to his factory to pray. And we prayed, and the very next day the order started to come in, just like that. He was employing one person, and now he's employing six. And then at that weekend, a couple of weekends ago, he said there was a cash flow problem. Can we pray with the managers over the phone? So we, on 2 o'clock on Friday last week, we prayed over the phone for the cash flow problem. Because when we said, this, is, this company was destined to glorify you, Lord, and it's not happening. Please remove this blockage. And um, 50, 45 minutes later, the phone rings. And he says, look, an update on our prayers. My brother, who has severely crushed ribs after praying, was to completely healed of his um, crushed ribs. Uh, oh, we didn't even pray for that. <laughs> right. And then he says, a man phoned up and he said, if you have that order to me by four, uh, quitting time today, I will give you $4,000. And that was the cash flow problem solved as well. Amazing answers to prayer based on the destiny of people and things that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So I want to encourage us all to avail ourselves of the judge. Okay? It's not like the judges here, we have a long wait. We can go to the courts based on the blood of Jesus. Why not take just a couple of minutes and reflect on that? Who is that person you need to take to the courts? And then we'll see what God will do. So, while you're thinking about that, may the band come up. Please, thank you. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.